Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Morning, everybody. Before we hear from God's word, let me pray. Heavenly Father, great are you, Lord. We thank you so much. We praise you so much that you are a God who speaks to us in your sovereignty. You speak to us, uh, your children. We pray that you open our hearts and minds to receive your word as we hear from your holy, uh, your holy, uh, holy scriptures this morning. Amen. So we have two passages this morning. The first one is from 1 Chronicles, chapter 29, verses 10 to 13. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendour, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honour come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise for your glorious name. Our second reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. Then, Jesus continues, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning, everyone. It's my uh, great privilege and pleasure to preach in the three chapels this week. Last uh, three chapels of the semester, and we're doing a kind of uh, deconstruction of a prayer book service. Uh, Yesterday, we answered the question, why we confess our sins. Tomorrow, we're looking at why we say the creed, and today, why we say the Lord's Prayer. Um, You probably know by now, most of the lecturers are like this, we kind of love words, and the most exciting thing I'm looking forward to next year is uh, Roy Champer and I, my buddy in the U.S., We've written an article on Greek wordplay in 1 Corinthians. So 11,000 words looking at uh, the way in which Paul plays with words to great effect in the Greek text of 1 Corinthians. I'm sure you'll be gripped by it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, um, and I had to look this up, Um, a a 19th century English author said, the pen is mightier than the sword. And it reminds me of the great Martin Luther hymn, Mighty Fortress, one little word shall fell him. I think it's true sometimes a document that start, can start out as kind of protest literature and it becomes foundational to a people and defines their mission and purpose and can actually change the course of history. Um, I'll give you four examples that defined entire nations and our world, words. Uh, the first one is the US Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, etc which was put together after the uh, US got upset about taxes and got rid of the Brits, celebrated every 4th of July. And it basically is the reason we don't uh, 
have much gun control in the US because they value their freedom so much. It's, it's defined the people. Uh, the second one is Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto, uh, written by Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels, uh, published in 1848. It formed the basis for the modern communist movement around the world and affected nations right across Eastern Europe, um, in uh, China still to this day, North Korea, Vietnam, etc. Want to know more about these things? Let's talk to Rhys, who knows everything about history, so that's good. Uh, the third one is Adolf Hitler's Mein Kampf, and uh, um, this is, of course, the political manifesto written by Hitler, and it was his only complete book. He wrote it in um, two volumes, uh, 1925, 1927. It appeared in 1930. And if only the Western powers had read it and take it serious, taken it seriously, it could have changed the history of the world for the better. It did not. Tens of millions of people died, including some of my relatives. Uh, fourth one is Mao Zedong's Little Red Book, which was a, uh, a book of statements from speeches uh, by uh, Mao Zedong. I think that's how you say his name now. They changed it from Mao Zedong. Anyway, and uh, it, it, it really, uh, remember the communist revolution took over in 1949 and uh, um, Chiang Kai-shek fled to Formosa, which became Taiwan. We're still having battles about that today. And it really came to the fore, the Little Red Book, in the so-called... Um, uh, cultural Revolution, which went for some 10 years from 66 to 76, when there was a purge in China uh, and uh, any remnant of bourgeois capitalism was purged. And again, estimates say 10, 20 million people died. So words can really make a difference. Um, and I think um, these words in these documents tell the stories that their followers subscribe to and live in. And they had massive impacts and still with us today have impacts around the world. And, and this is my point today, I think the Lord's Prayer is actually another example of this type, type of subversive revolutionary literature. It's a manifesto for the people of God. And it has changed cultures around the world for two millennia, right across the world. It's mercifully shorter than these other ones I've mentioned, uh, but no less revolutionary and I would put to you even more impactful. So as I say in the handout, the Lord's Prayer is a subversive and revolutionary manifesto. It's such a familiar text to us. Really what I'm doing today is I'm kind of giving you a fresh angle on it to kind of enliven your interest in it and, and help you to understand just how important it is and the effect it has on us when we pray it from the heart. So it has subverted and undermined and replaced the false stories of our world for 2,000 years. And the big false story in my view in our day in the West is what we call expressive individualism, um, where personal identity is a kind of do-it-yourself project. All forms of external authority are to be rejected Everyone's quest for self-expression is to be celebrated and you feel yourself to be who you are on the inside and then acting in accordance with that identity is uh, living authentically. Yep, there's a book in that and uh, it's available at the front desk. It was launched last night, $30 at Kurong, $20 at the front desk. 
Um, so the two things I'm doing with the Lord's Prayer are thinking of it as revolutionary and a manifesto for an, a story in which we live. And secondly, I'm reading it as, I hope you always will, in context in the context of the Sermon on the Mount and in the context of Matthew's Gospel. Uh, at the end, as you'll see, I've uh, written a satirical prayer for expressive individualism and I've asked the youngest member in the room to read it for us. So we'll look forward to that. Thank you, Isaac. Later. Uh, it reminds us, the Lord's Prayer, though, it functions as a script for our identity for our narrative identity, because stories are the way we live. That's what really gives us an identity. But, but really, the big stories are the ones we subscribe to. They're shared stories. So it gives us a shared story. It does four things. It reminds us to whom we belong, what we're part of, what we need, and where we're headed. Uh, life stories have defining moments in the past, sometimes before we were born struggles in the present and a defining destiny in the future. That's true of all life stories. All of us look to the past for the years that made us and we all struggle with something in the present, which we understand to be the big issues in our lives, and we all look forward to some kind of vision of the future which we're moving towards. So the Lord's Prayer then, just to say it again, gives us the story of our lives in outline. Let's have a look. The first thing it says is to whom we belong, our Father. And even the plural pronoun our Father is significant here because it could not be more different than the project of expressive individualism of our day uh, because it's a plural thing. The focus is not on the individual, you as an individual, but you as part of a group, us. And the appeal is to our Father in heaven. It's a look upwards, whereas expressive individualism is all about looking inwards. You don't belong to yourself. That's heresy in our day. It's the antithesis then. The Lord's Prayer is the antithesis of a central belief of expressive individualism. You belong to your heavenly Father. And just the word Father there keys us into the big story of our lives. It takes us all the way back to Adam. Because as much as the uh, image of God has implications for all sorts of things, it's really about us being children of God. The end of the genealogy in Luke says, Adam, the son of God. And in uh, Acts 17, uh, Paul preaches, we are God's offspring. But because we were rebellious, that image of God has been marred and will be restored and part of that restoration is God adopting the people of Israel into his family and in particular the kings of Israel, the Davidic kings, 2 Samuel 7, he'll treat that king as his son. And then in the New Testament he sends his own son, his unique son, and then we become sons and daughters of God as well. So having God as your father relates to our final destiny, when our true identity will be revealed, when he is revealed as the true son of God. And the Sermon on the Mount puts the Lord's Prayer right at the centre, interestingly, and it connects God as the father of Jesus and God as the father of Jesus' disciples. So 15 times in the Sermon on the Mount, you get our father or your father, and then at the very end, the climax, um, you get 
um, Jesus saying, my father in heaven, in chapter 7. So really, our identity as being in Christ is kind of hinted at by that. We pray our father in heaven, and at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he prays, my father who is in heaven. And fundamentally, in Matthew's gospel, the Christology is about Jesus as the son of God. And when we pray to our heavenly father, we share in his identity as God's children and identify ourselves as part of his family. So what are we a part of? We're a part of God's kingdom. The first petition says, your kingdom come. Not my kingdom, but God's kingdom. Reminds us of the central theme of Jesus' proclamation, of course. And it's the big story of God redeeming the world, putting it to right after it uh, went off kilter in big ways with Adam and Eve. To pray for God's kingdom to come is to pledge allegiance to his rule, to the one true and living God, and to embrace that agenda, which is really in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, if you're wondering what it looks like to pray your kingdom come. It's to locate your life in the narrative of God's unfolding plan. Because it's a myth to think you have a unique life story. I mean, our day is really characterised by everyone telling their story, isn't it? You've, you've never, in, I'm, I'm starting to call, instead of social media platforms, I call them unsocial media platforms or anti-social media platforms. But you can tell your story, can't you, every day. What, what, what you're thinking, what you're doing, what you're wearing, what you're eating. It's always a kind of curated uh, uh, best bits story. I mean, no one puts on Instagram, I'm sticking the rearview mirror back on with duct tape. <laughs> YOLO. <laughs> um, so uh, I love the term uh, in C.S. Lewis's introduction to the uh, Paradise Lost, Milton's Paradise Lost. Remember, Lewis was really a medieval uh, literature professor. He, t he coins the term for Satan's activity as incessant autobiography. And that's what our day is like isn't it? We're incessantly telling our stories, feverishly. But being social animals, we live in shared stories. And uh, the truth is the big stories of our lives are a combination of defining moments, goals and expectations of life that we all share in one story or other. Stories handed down to us by our families, related to the stories of our nations, ethnicities, social classes, religious faiths and so on. But at the bedrock of the story of our lives for believers is this grand narrative of God redeeming the world in which we're a part. And you see that with the next bit. We pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we live now in the light of our defining destiny when that will be true. The uniting of heaven and earth. Uh, the Scottish philosopher Alistair MacIntyre puts it well. He says, I can only answer the question... What am I to do if I can answer the prior question of what story do I find myself a part? And the Lord's Prayer reminds us of that story when we pray it. So the choice for all of us is between a starring role in our own short story, the genre of which will probably be a tragedy or a farce, or a bit part in the grand story of the redemption of the world. And uh, to quote Pink Floyd out of context, wish you were here, you can either have a walk-on part in the war or a leading role in a cage. 
Uh, I was on a plane on Friday. I was meant to come back from Sydney to Melbourne as Jetstar, so very reliable. And uh, uh, I got a, a text message, it's been cancelled, click this link and to rebook. So I clicked the link, half an hour later it worked. And I uh, found out I was coming back to Melbourne via the Gold Coast. <laughs> Excellent. So got on the plane, went to the Gold Coast, and the plane to Melbourne was delayed six times. Anyway, I sat next to this guy. He was um, such an interesting guy. And uh, he, he was um, a, a bartender and uh, a bit of a player, really. He, he said he'd met, met a bird at the airport. He was going to hook up with her when he arrived. She was on a different plane. And uh, he, he worked in a uh, bar um, in, um, what's that hippie place that you talk about, Mike, up there? The... Byron Bay, thank you. Byron Bay. And, <laughs> and Baz Luhrmann is one of the customers and he knows Baz well. And Baz is about to film his uh, next film, Elvis. And uh, my new mate, Anthony, says, hey, Baz, can I have a... a a walk on roll. And so he gives him one. <laughs> so he explained it to me. He filmed it like 30 times. He has to walk through the crowd, pick up a bird, and throw her on the stage of the, of the concert with Elvis. And, and uh, it's not a big role. I'm going to see Elvis now, see if I can spot Anthony. <laughs> he is a bit of a player. So basically you, you, you had to have a physical card to buy food on the plane. So I said, mate, I'll, I'll buy you some food. What do you want? So you know what he bought? Two beers. <laughs> anyway, so Anthony chose the bit part and that's our choice as well. And, and really, that, that's really what's been put to us. If, if you see it everywhere, once you cue into expressive individualism, it's so nauseating everywhere you'll see it. We're told only you can follow your heart if you just follow your heart. If you're passionate about something, follow your dreams. What if you're crap at it? I mean... <laughs> It just it, it isn't a great story, friends. So, anyway, I'm going off script here. <laughs> what we need is the next thing. The Lord's Prayer tells us what we actually need, and it's this, to be given today our daily bread. Now, how different could that be to the cultural narrative that we hear in our world today? And Luther thought that this give us our daily bread was a call to shun greed. And, and Luther was right, I think, because if you read on in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus reminds us that our lives do not consist of food and clothes and that we worship God and not money. So that's the first thing we learn. And, uh, and, and these days you do define yourself by your possessions, don't you? By uh, your address, by your car, um, by your clothes and so on. And then the petition to forgive our debts as we have forgiven our debtors or our, uh, the forgive others their sins against you and so on uh, brings both comfort and a challenge, I think. It reminds us who we are again as forgiven sinners and reminds me of uh, Matthew 9, 6, the Son of Man has authority on earth to, admit, uh, to forgive sins. And then in Matthew 18, we're to forgive from the heart 70 times 7 if necessary. So the whole of Matthew really throbs with the Lord's Prayer and expands on every line so beautifully. And our day is, as we all know, a day of um, outrage culture on all of the antisocial media platforms. Just give you one offline example, road rage. Apparently, angry and aggressive behaviour behind the wheel is on the rise. 
And uh, basically you get uh, people honking their horns, swerving, tailgating to actually fighting another driver. According to one survey, 86% of us feel aggressive behind the wheel. Um, <laughs> I won't go there. And 20% of us admit to chasing other cars. Wow, can you believe it? Uh, perhaps sitting in a car alone with nothing but your own destination firmly in mind is a good illustration of the do-it-yourself expressive individualism of our day. And then finally, the request, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, reminds us of our inherent weakness and vulnerability and the extent of our need for God. This is a prayer to be spared times of great pressure and another variation on the Lord's Prayer says, um, save us from the time of trial. Same, same idea, basically. The final petition um, is another reminder of it, that the Lord's Prayer is an invitation to share the priorities of Jesus himself. Because as it says in the Gospels, the disciples are those who have stood by Jesus in his trials. Same word. So in short, the Lord's Prayer reminds us of our identity in Christ and the grand story of which we're a part, which ends with our destination. We then pray, your will be done on earth, and uh, we also pray that God's kingdom will come, for yours is the power and the glory, and so on. Uh, that, if you're reading the NIV, that's not that, that's in a margin. Talk to Andrew Malone about the textual evidence later if you want to. In short, then, the Lord's Prayer reminds us that our identity is found in Jesus and in his coming kingdom. It's an interesting idea, isn't it, how something in the future can affect you in the present. Because we think, basically, the future is just our glorious destination. That's, that's lovely, gives us some comfort, but it actually shapes you in the present. And this is true of other... I can give you two examples. Prince Charles was born in Buckingham Palace on November 14, 1948. First child, of course, of Princess Elizabeth, Duchess of Edinburgh and Philip, Duke of Edinburgh. When Charles was three, his mother acceded to the throne, still there, and uh, he became uh, the heir, the, the second in line to the throne, to the seven countries over which she now reigns. I think Reese, because he's... Uh, joined some royal society, is now 427th in line. <laughs> so Charles' destiny has defined him. This is my point. And you think about it, it's true. His education, his involvement in the military, his working life, his choice of a marriage partner a couple of times, his religious affiliation, his taste in architecture, if you can call it taste, hobbies, sports, now, obviously, other factors are in the mix. You know, he's got his own personality and experience, but his destiny is really what puts all of it in, in shape and forms him. Trade apprentices are defined by their future and are expected to, to conform to that identity in the present. Uh, a carpentry apprentice takes up to four years to complete the job uh, to become a fully-fledged carpenter. Uh, my son William's a carpenter, as well as a skydiving instructor and other things. Uh, but in his carpentry apprenticeship, he had the goal of becoming a carpenter at the end, gaining the qualification, and that defined him as he learnt the trade. His boss, an excellent fellow, uh, uh, modelled best practice in the industry. Slowly but surely, William became like him, 
see where I'm going here, until he graduated as a fully qualified carpenter. So his future defined him. In the same way, your kingdom come and all this future stuff in the Lord's prayers defines us in the present. So praying the Lord's Prayer marks out the main lines of the story to which we subscribe. It's a powerful critique and substitute for many stories, but in our day for the story of expressive individualism. So in your notes, I've given you a bit about expressive individualism and I've asked Isaac to come up and uh, initially to be humiliated by reading the prayer of the authentic self and then he will lead us with the Lord's Prayer, which is also printed. So let's use that version and then we're done. Thank you, Isaac. Feel free to read along uh, with me if you want. Um, for the authentic self. My essence within, help me to find my authentic self. My kingdom come, my will be done from birth to seventh heaven. Give me today my daily spread. Forgive not my enemies as I suppress those who sin against me. Lead me not into self-doubt, but deliver me from all external authorities. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are mine, now and forever. Amen. Uh, let's say the Lord's Prayer as well. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.